it's good to see y'all this morning. Um, let me be the first, maybe not the first, but I want to be somebody who welcomes you and says thank you for being here today. Uh, it's a great joy to spend time with you, our family and friends and our online guests. It's just a, a real privilege to, to be here with you. Let me encourage you to, if you have your Bibles with you or if you have your electronic devices, to find your way this morning to the book of 2 Corinthians. And I'll be looking at chapter 5 this morning, chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. And I've got a lot that I want to share, and I've got a timer going, and I, I want to be a good steward of your time and my time, so I'm, gonna, I'm literally going to get into it. So I hope you did some exercise and some warming up. I tell the camera people every time I'm going to preach, I said, you need to, you need to stretch. You need to stretch. I learned in special operations flying for years, that a moving target's much harder to hit than a stationary one. So uh, there you go, there you go. So I want to speak this morning in the time that I have on this subject, being reconciled to God. What, what does that mean? What is that? And I'm going to inter- not necessarily introduce new words to you, but I am going to spend some time um, unpacking some words because what I have found over years of ministry is that... Um, we use these words routinely, but I don't know that we all understand them the same way. And so I'm not here to insult your understanding of anything, but I want to help make sure that we all understand it the, according to the way that the scriptures are written. So I'm going to start on chapter 5, verse 17. And I'm gonna, let, me, let me just read these verses to you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, um, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. I want to look at three things out of this text. I'm going to move fluidly through it, but I'm going to start in verse 17. And I, the first thing that we see here in our text is this idea of being in Christ. In Christ. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All right, a new creation, old things, archaic things. That's the Greek word in there for old is archaic. I feel archaic. My girls, I have four daughters, and they make me routinely feel archaic. And, uh, and I'm really not that old. But, um, but that, the picture there is of something changing states radically. It's transformed, right? Um, when my girls were small, I can remember buying one of these butterfly boxes. Maybe some of y'all did that with your kids. You know, it's this really cheap, you know, like poster board box, and it's got cellophane on the side so they can see in. And my girls went and got sticks and caterpillars, and they put them in there. And, you know, I, I don't know what they fed them. I know they fed them, you know, but I, I doubt it was a piece of cake, a pickle, a plum, you know, a lollipop, like the very hungry caterpillar. But at some point in time, I'm pretty sure that they ate through one leaf, their stomach was better, and then they went and hibernated in this little chrysalis thing, right? And when the fullness of time had come for, for this caterpillar, the chrysalis opened up and out came a butterfly. And I had to spend some time talking to my girls. Like, they're like, Dad, look at the caterpillar with wings. I'm like, no, that's not a caterpillar anymore. 
It's a butterfly, right? The word in the Greek for transformation, Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 12. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, in the, by the sure mercies of God, to offer your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that, that you may know what is God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. I know that this translation says something just a little bit different than that. This just happened to be the one I memorized it in years ago. The word transform there is the word that we use in the English language, metamorphosis. It means to change, completely change states. There's not a lot of things in the world, in our lives, that change, completely change their one being into something radically and completely different. But that's exactly what happens to the caterpillar, and that's exactly what happens to the perfect work of Christ in our lives, when we are in Christ, in Christ. Now, he says, if anyone is in Christ, then. So I'm the kind of guy that looks at that and says, well, what if you're not in Christ? What does that mean? Right? Because if you can be in Christ, you can be what? Out of Christ. Right? And so in my mind, I'm like, well, what, what does that mean? Because a person in Christ experiences transformation. So without transformation, guess what? A person is living outside of Christ. And what does that life look like? Well, that's a life that's being lived with the mark of unforgiven sin on it. I remember the first time I saw my wife. Um, we'll celebrate 40 years in July, but I remember that day. I mean, just like it was happening in this moment, right? I walked through this door I was at this one place, and she was across the room. She was with some friends, and I can remember who she was with. I can remember what she was wearing, but the thing that I remember most, the thing that I saw first about her was her smile. And her smile and her eyes, and it just, it just, it just took my breath away, honestly. And it does even today, you know. Not, not, nothing's changed, right? Um, but see, that's, that's how God sees us, the world. He looks into the world, and for those who are outside of Christ, all he can see is unforgiven sin. You're, you're, a person outside of Christ is enveloped in unforgiven sin. Now, for the people who are in Christ, guess what? He can see unconfessed sin, all right? And, that's, and, and he tells us in 1 John, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, guess what? He's saying, look, I, this is what I see when I look. Now, here's the thing about unforgiven sin is that there's no way to get to, to, to get it off of you, right? Except through Jesus. But it's kind of like a campfire, right? It, if you go near a campfire, the particles from the fire are going to get in your fa the fabric of your clothes. They're going to get into the follicles of your hair. I'm not alliterating here. They're going to get into, you know, on, on your cells of your skin. And, and, and it doesn't go away unless you do what? Wash it. That's exactly right. Well, guess what? Same thing with sin. Right? The same thing with this unforgiven sin in our lives. It doesn't fade away. It doesn't over time kind of, you know, blend in. It, it, it's not going to go away on its own. Something has to happen. And the problem is, is that as long as it's on our life, there's a consequence. And the consequence is separation from God. Eternal separation from God. In the Old Testament, God often uses the term cut off to explain this. I think probably the best biblical illustration 
that I can think of uh, comes from the prophecy of John in the book of Revelation chapter 21, where he says, um, there shall be by no means entering it uh, anything that defiles or causes corruption or lies, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. You hear the word only in there, right? There's, so, that, that, so anything that is not holy, because he is, is excluded. And the only way to holiness is the cross, is Christ, putting our faith in him, right? So there's this, this consequence for sin. That's the bad news. The good news is that when a person comes and begins the life in Christ, guess what? They are never outside of Christ again. Never, 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 never. Because the word tells us that it, based on just the name of Jesus, and I'm so glad that we sang about the name of Jesus this morning, just at the name of Jesus, that person secures our eternity, our eternal destination. In Acts chapter Acts chapter 4, this is in, on their notes, but he says there's no other name under heaven given amongst men by which we must be saved, right? There's something about the name Jesus. There's something about his person. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus in, in chapter 1, and he said, in him we have redemption, and through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. So there's something very important, something powerful, something unique about the person of Jesus. But, but, but there's also the work that he does, right? There's the work that he does that we can, we are benefactors of. In Mark chapter 10, he says this about himself. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for the many. A ransom. A ransom is something paid to, to release a hostage. It's something paid to free a slave. And that's what he did for us. We, as those whose lives were marked by unforgiven sin, he has freed us. He has liberated us from those things in our lives. So he alone is the transformative power for our lives. And if we're expected to be transformed, we have to come to Jesus. We have to come to Jesus. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 2, he said, I've been crucified with Christ. See, there's that identification there. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, listen to this, who loved me and gave himself for me. Gave himself for me. And because of that, we have peace with God. We have peace with God. So the, the first thing right out the chute, verse 17 is this idea that we need transformation. Now, in verse 18 and verse 20, and it's just the first part of 18, we see another truth, that after transformation's taken place, then Christ begins the work of reconciliation. Reconciliation. Notice what it says. It says, all things are of God, who reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. The word reconcile is a, is a Greek word, all right? And I'm going to get in the weeds, so bear with me, all right? If you're one of those people who's going to nod off, somebody sitting next to you and nudge you when I get past this part. But the Greek word for reconciliation, and I'm doing this because it's in this text five times, so I'm guessing it's pretty important, is kata alasso. Kata is a 
It's a preposition. It means according to, by means of, because of. In other words, what's happening is, is there is a definitive mark, a place marker in history that something happens in your life. And, 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 it, and it, you can always go back to it. It's, and whoever looks at it can go, aha, yeah, that happened on that moment at that date for this reason. All right? Now, a lasso means to change. Now, this is different than metamorphosis, but it's, it means to change. But it means to be changed radically, decisively, reconcile it. And notice what he said, be reconciled to God. He changed our relationship with God. While we were living outside of Christ or in, in, in quite possibly are living outside of Christ in this moment, the reality is, is that God views us as enemies. But because of the perfect work of Christ, he now has changed that relationship that we're no longer viewed as enemies of God, but as friends of God. Whoa. Just for a moment, let me just say, whoa. We, we, were, we were enemies, active, hostile in his view. But he fixed that problem. And he fixed that problem in Christ. All things are of God. I, you know, when I read that, I'm like, I just want to blow right by it. I, you know, like, what does that mean? Why is that even there, you know? But it's very helpful because what it tells us is, is that this reconciliation has to happen because of him. We, we cannot work reconciliation in our life with God. We can't. You'll never be good enough. And I, I, please don't take offense. You, you'll, you'll never do enough good works. You know, it, you know, you might say, well, I never murdered anybody. I never stole anything. But that, that's not enough. That's, that's not enough to change your state. You can't, and it, you can't do it. All things are of God. Who, who, who reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus? It's like this. Imagine someone in a body of water drowning. A person drowning has absolutely no ability to save themselves. They, they can't will themselves out of it. They can't work harder. You, you just pl- applied yourself. They, they, they can't. Lazarus was dead in a tomb for three days. Stone was in front of him. They were concerned about the fact that he'd been in there for three days and the smell and all that. And I, I, I think if Lazarus was capable of doing reanimating himself on his own, he would have done it. I mean, he had family out there. He had friends out, outside the grave. I mean, come on, man. Is a little train that could. I, I think I can. I think I can. He, but he couldn't an- reanimate himself. But then God's son stood at the entryway and called him by name, had to move away the stone, and he called him out of that grave, and he, he brought him back to life. That's another woe. We can't save ourselves. We have no ability to do that. In the book of Ephesians chapter 2, he says, you were dead in trespasses and sin. And because even though when you were in there, he made you alive. He said, we walked according to the course of the world. We, we were walking according to the prince of power of the air who works in the sons of disobedience. He says, he even, he even includes himself, and he says, among whom we also, um, um, among whom also we once conducted ourselves according to the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the lust of the flesh and of the, and of the mind. And listen to this, and we're by nature children of wrath just as the others. We were 
again, pointing back, we, we were children of wrath when we were outside of Christ. And he, but he, he did this work. He fixed that problem. He reconciled us to God. You see, he is the reconciler of all humanity. He, he's our rescuer. He, he rescues us from the, the state that we're in when we're outside of Christ. What great news. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul wrote this. He said, there's one God and there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ, who gave his life a ransom for all. He's the mediator. He mediated this peace. He, he was the one who came up with the ability to, to ransom us, to pay that, that price, to, to bring us back from a state of being hostage to our sin. But, but notice, there's exclusivity in that. He, he is the one who did that, right? He, he makes this even more clear in his word in John chapter 14 when he says, no one can come to the Father except through me. I mean, there's a gate, there's a door, there's a... In, in, in the book of Matthew, he, he talks about in chapter 7, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is small and the way is wide, that, or gate is big and the way is wide that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter in. But enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. There, there's, he's the gate. He's the doorway. He, he, he's our propitiation. There's another big word, right? Propitiation. In 1 John chapter 4, it says, now this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is a picture where Jesus Christ becomes the substitutory atonement for us. He substitutes himself for us. If God had poured out his wrath on us the way he did his son, it would have destroyed us. But Jesus took that wrath fully embodied it on the cross and and then he in turn turns around and he extends to us grace and mercy we don't deserve that whatsoever and we're leading we're in lent leading up to to easter and and i would just ask you is that the picture of jesus that you see the one who is going to in the passion we he he's going to give his life a ransom for us the prophet isaiah in chapter 53 says this he was wounded for your transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes you were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's the Jesus who rescues. That's the Jesus who who transforms us and reconciles us, makes us no longer an enemy in the sight of God, but a friend of God. He was wounded, and he was bruised, and he sustained all of the chastisement of his father, and he bore fully the iniquity of us all. That's the Jesus. I've heard invitations before where it's like, oh, you just bring your bags, and you just set them right there, and you know, and and then I'm waiting to see the little bell with the thing, ding, 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 ding. And here comes Jesus with his bellboy hat on. He just picks it up and he walks away. And he just, that, that, I'm like, that's an insult to me. He's Christ. He rescued us. What great news. He fulfilled everything that the Father put upon his shoulders. In John chapter 6, he said, I left heaven not to do my own will, but the will of whom sent me. 
In Mark, he says, to seek and to save that which is lost. In John 10, he says, that you might have life and have it more abundantly. In John 14, he says, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, guess what? I'm coming back and I'm going to receive you to myself. And that where I am, there you may be also. That's what's reserved for those who are in Christ. I'm going to need a nap after this. The last thing we see here is really, really important. Two, I should say. And that is this issue of ambassadorship. Right? Because he says that he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That he has entrusted to us the word. That's in the Greek, that's logos. It's the message of reconciliation. And then in turn, he says that we're to be ambassadors for him. You see, in the text here, it says, be reconciled to God. Right? It doesn't say, be reconciled to your friends, to your neighbors, co-workers, whatever. It says, be reconciled to God. In other words, that ministry of reconciliation is the first order of importance. The, any reconciliation that might take place horizontally is con completely contingent on experiencing reconciliation in the vertical. And just like with love, we say routinely that the only way we can really know how to love people who are hateful or spiteful towards us, right, is if we've learned the love of Christ who gave himself for us, right? A husband can't love his wife as Christ loved the church unless he's willing to give himself for her, to wash her in the waters of the word, right? So it's of the first order. It's preeminent. It's foremost. Now, I want you to understand, I'm not saying that the other forms of reconciliation are important. I'm simply saying that reconciliation with God has to come first. I'm going to take liberty. I'm going to take an extra minute. You guys are going to get something the first service didn't get. So look at that. Look at that. So back in 18, I come home from work one day, and my wife's on the phone, and that's not unusual. Um, <laughs> but don't tell her I said that. She might be online. I don't know. Um, but I'm listening to this conversation. I'm like, there's something not right here. So she gets off the phone. I said, who are you talking to? And she goes, oh, I was talking to the guy at the marina. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> We don't have a boat. Why are you talking to some guy at the marina? And she's like, oh, we live on the Gulf. We probably should get a boat. And I'm like, sweetheart, we're not boat people. I've never owned a boat. I've never driven a boat. I've never trailered a boat. I, 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 I don't know what goes on a boat. Um, I said, except the Navy boats. I'm like, well, wait a minute now. What, what are you talking about? She goes, oh, I think we should get a boat. So we got a boat. Long story short, 21 foot center console. So <laughs> I'm terrified. I'm like, I don't know how this is going to work. So I call my son-in-law up, and I said, he's a Navy guy. And I said, dude, man, can you come over and, and help me out? And he goes, ah, sure, sure. So he comes over. We get to the launch, and we're backing the boat in and taking the boat out. And he's telling me what to do first and how to do this and how to do that. And so we did this about eight, ten times, exfil, infill, exfil, infill, exfil, infill. And we get done, get in the truck, and he goes, hey, you want to, you feel good about it? I'm like, yeah, right. Um, I said, let's do it one more time, just one more time. So he goes, okay, sure. He's a great, great teacher, great, very patient. So he gets out of the truck, and I'm starting back the truck in, and I look over in the right mirror, and there's this jet of water shooting out the right side of the boat. 
And I'm like, that's odd. And done that before. So I pull back out, water stops. Hmm. Back it in, water starts. So who in this room knows what was wrong? That's right, brother. I didn't put the plug in. Guess what? First order of importance, always put the plug in before you put the boat in the water because if you don't, it sinks if it can't keep up with the bilge pump. First order of importance always, always, always is to be reconciled to God before we worry about being reconciled in these planes. We pursue those things, but we have to stay reconciled in the vertical plane. So that's the first thing. But notice what else he said. Be reconciled to God. That, by the way, is the only imperative in this section of text. An imperative is a command. And I learned English when I learned Greek and Hebrew that there is an understood subject here. You. He's looking at us eyeball to eyeball, heart to heart, spirit to spirit. He's not going, y'all need to do this or use guys if you happen to be from up north. It's you be reconciled. And you might ask yourself the question, well, what's the big deal with that? I'll give you the, I'll, I'll tell you what the big re- issue is. Is that there's a, an end coming. It's, it's a foregone conclusion. Everything is going to come to an end. And I don't know the time of it. Neither does the son, according to the word. Only the father does, right? In Matthew chapter 24, he says, then many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now listen, we stop there, but listen to the next statement. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then what? And then the end will come. Praise God for people like Martha Wade who have gone to a faraway place with people who didn't even have a written language and has put the word of God, the testimony of of him in their hands, in their tongue. But here's, here's a word of caution. I don't know who's left. And probably neither do you. And an imperative says, hey, this is not a suggestion. It's not a good recommendation. It's not like a, man, that would be a good idea if I had the time for it. It's not like we can delay. There's an end coming. It's a foreordained conclusion. And you have no time to wait. So we have to act upon it. And then finally he says, and he's entrusted this whole gospel enterprise to us. So then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God was pleading through us. Be reconciled. Be reconciled. How many, how many Mission Impossible folks out there? How many got Mission Impossible? Okay. Movie or the show? Because some of you are not old enough to remember the show. See, I remember sneaking down and sitting at the bottom of the steps and listening to the show. I didn't get to see it till later on. I liked the show. I liked the movies. It's a lot of money, a lot of, you know, special effects and all that. But it's funny, whether it's, it's, it's uh, Peter Graves as the guy or Tom Cruise as the guy, but it's funny, there's this, this covert thing, and they go in some place, and they open up some sealed package, and they put the tape in, and it says something like, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to go, you know, to stop the speeding train, to knock down the tall building. And I'm like, tapping out, tapping out too much. Too much you're asking from me, right? So, but it's like, you cannot accept this. I mean, they never do, but it's like, but I could, right? But guess what? 
when it comes to the gospel enterprise, there's no tapping out. If you are in Christ, guess what? The day you came to be in Christ is the day he said, you are my ambassadors. And I, and I really feel that, that, and this is a, just an observation of the 21st century church, big, right? Is that we've, more than the mission impossible identity, we, we, we identify more with the field of dreams, story. You know, Kevin Costner, the baseball thing. You guys nod if you're playing along. Good. I can imagine his wife is like, you're, you're doing what? Um, you know, and he's, he's plowing the field, turning it. He makes this baseball diamond and, and all that stuff. And the tagline is, if you build it, they will come. And the 21st century church has gotten to a place where it's like, we're clearing fields, we're building structures. All right, come on, we're here. I remember the day going to laundromats, going to car washes, going to grocery stores, going to gas stations, going to apartments, going to neighborhoods and knocking on doors. And I had a lot of them slammed in my face. And compelling people, urging them, pleading with them to come to faith in Christ. If they came to our church, great. But, if, but, but we went to them, not waiting for them to come to us. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says this, as you are going, make disciples. The, out, out, of your, out there, go. In Acts chapter 1, he says, I'll give you everything you need. You're going to be filled with the Spirit. Be my witness in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Go. Go. So what does this mean? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to distill the, my conclusion down to a couple questions. First question is this. Are you reconciled to God? Are you reconciled to God? When I would go knock on doors, I'd ask two questions. First question was, are you, are you in a place in your spiritual journey where if you were to die today, that you know you would go to heaven? Because I really wanted to know if people even had, were heavenly minded, whether or not they thought that, there were, you know, that once you died, if that was the end of all existence, or whether you really, there was something else for you, right? And the second question I would ask him is, is, so if you were to die today and stand before God, and he were to ask you, why should I let you in my heaven, what would you say? And you would be surprised how many people who are in Christ that really couldn't answer that question. But all told, the majority of the responses were, well, I, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I'm not a bad person. You know, I try to be kind and compassionate and generous with folks. You know, I give where I can. I, again, I've never murdered anybody. I've never committed adultery. I never, you know. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 2 says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not of yourself. Scripture says, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. I, I would just ask you this morning, have you been reconciled to God? And if you haven't, what are you waiting for? Because there's a foregone conclusion waiting. And we don't know when that is. The second question I would ask is to those who are, are in Christ, have been reconciled to God. Are, are you actively obeying God's expectation to be an ambassador for him? 
I mean, are you? I will say this regularly. Partial obedience is disobedience. And delayed obedience is total disobedience. Are you? Because if you're not, then then I'm going to recommend and encourage you this morning to take just a couple minutes, if you will, and and prayerfully ask him. We're getting ready to do to take the Lord's Supper. Prayerfully ask him to, in his kindness to forgive you and to give you the boldness that you need to go and to do what he's called us to do and entrusted us to do. And here's the last one. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up because I'm going to pray in just a second when I get done with this. Is, is this. Have you reconciled with those other relationships? Granted, they're not the first order of importance, but, but he says if you're giving your gift and all of a sudden you realize that you have something that's unfinished or undone or it's not right with a, a brother, set your gift down, go and reconcile with them, then come and give your gift. And I'm saying that because, again, he tells us in the Lord's Supper to examine ourselves and to eat in a worthy manner. And so, I'm, so the question is, has that taken place? And if not, then I want you to prayerfully consider today doing that. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for this time. And I, I simply ask, Lord, that, that we will be compelled to be obedient to you in whatever way that that might be. Lord, your word is truth, and you, you've said sanctify them by your word. And so we've heard the word. We're being asked to act upon the word, and I pray that, that we will do that this very day. And I ask all these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Let me invite you to stand as we have our invitation time.